Well, good morning, Center Church. How is everybody this morning? Awesome. Awesome. It's good. For those of you who uh, have not met, uh, my name is Blake. Uh, I have the privilege of being the executive pastor um, of what's called the Zero Collective now. So my role used to be executive pastor of Frontline Church, but uh, recently we've, uh, you know, had a relationship here at the Center Church with Frontline Church. Uh, and then we added actually another campus down in Wayland now, so which is New Life Church. So that kind of expanded my role a little bit. So I spend uh, one week at Frontline Church. I get to spend one week at Center Church, and then I get to spend one week at New Life Church, and then I get to do it again. And so I am about every three weeks I'm at a different church. But uh, love to be here this morning. Um, just before I get started with tonight's uh, message here, uh, I just want to acknowledge both Brendan and John. Uh, I just don't know. I, you guys need to know this, but you are very blessed with uh, great leaders here at the Center Church. Uh, John and Brennan are doing a great job. Uh, I get to meet with them individually. Uh, most of the time I get to meet with John uh, once in a while with Brendan, but get to meet with them and talk with them and just hear their hearts for ministry. And you, you guys need to know, they, they love this church. I mean, they breathe this church, and they live and die with this church. So thank you so much for supporting them. Uh, that's huge, okay? A word of encouragement, a gift card to Arby's, I don't know, uh, give something, but uh, just, just let them know that you love them, okay? Uh, that that means, a, means a lot. Um, so I want to take you back this morning. I want to take you back to 2016. Uh, 2016, it was the summertime, it was probably about this time of year, my wife and I were heading up to do some camping, uh, and we love to go camping. Typically what we end up doing is we go on a Thursday afternoon, uh, leave late in the afternoon, and we find a place to camp, uh, and then we spend Friday camping, and then Saturday we'll pack back up and head back down because i got to be back at church on a Sunday being a pastor. And so we were heading up uh, north, northern Michigan uh, on this particular weekend, and we hit a weekend like we've been having this entire summer. It is raining all the time, okay? So we were heading up there, and we thought, oh, should we go? Should we not go? But we decided, yeah, we're going to go for it. And one of the great things that we like to do when we're camping is we love to bike, okay? So we bring our bikes, we throw them on the bike rack of the car, or the Jeep actually, and we head up there and we find trailheads and go biking for quite a long distance. In fact, yesterday I was, uh, if anybody's familiar with the MSU Grand Fondo, I did that race yesterday, that was 80 miles, and so thus the seat up here just in case, okay, because <laughs> my seat is a little tired and uh, it needs to sit down every once in a while. But uh, anyway, we were up there camping and it was starting to rain and we decided, okay, we're not going to bike this day, but we're going to go bike the next day. And we saw on the, on the radar there, on our phones there, that we had this window of time between about eight and one o'clock that we could go camping or go bike riding. So we got up early in the morning. Um, I took my phone out and I plugged in the coordinates for the trailhead in my, into my GPS. It took us onto the highway for a little while and then dropped us off on the highway and we headed down a road. Uh, we didn't know where we were going. We were just following the GPS on there. We got to the end of the road there and there was no trailhead, but my GPS, Siri said, turn right. And as I look right, there's this road that says SR on it, which apparently means service road uh, in Michigan. So. We, I thought, okay, I got a Jeep, I can, I can do this. So the bikes are on the back, we drive down this service road, and we get down there for a little, way, a little while, and we come to another crossroad, and it says, turn left. So it's another service road. 
So we're going down this other service road here, and now this one's just a little bit more narrow than the last one. We get to the end of that, and then it's telling me to turn right again. So we turn back right down another service road, and now this one is really, really narrow, okay? But I've got a Jeep, I'm thinking, I'm pretty cool here, you know? I got a Jeep, I can make this. It started to get a little bit narrower and a little bit narrower, and then again, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn left, turn right. Pretty soon, I'm sitting here thinking, where is Siri taking me? This is not the trail that I had intended to. And then, of all things, Siri decides to leave me because now I have no connection with the GPS coordinates. And I turn around and my wife and I are completely lost in the woods. So I have to take this, I'm going to say 30 point turn to try to turn the Jeep back around because otherwise we're going to fall off this edge. And I get it and then I get stuck. Okay. And we're out in the middle of nowhere and we get stuck. And so I'll finish up the story in a little bit later in here, but isn't that how life goes sometimes? We, uh, we go, and we're following some directions here, and we make a series of choices, and a series of choices that take us one way, and another way, and another way, and all of a sudden, we're on a road that we don't want to be on, and we're in a place that we don't need to be. Maybe those choices for you, maybe those choices for you are in your friendships. What started out going to a party was a lot of fun. Well, the party turned into maybe going to the bar with some friends, then from the bar I went to another party, and then pretty soon you're hanging out with some friends that you don't even know, and you're in a situation, made a choice that you don't even know why you're on this road. Or maybe for you, your choices were in your finances, and uh, you know you bought the dress, and it looked great, so then you had to buy the shoes, and then if you got the shoes, you gotta get the purse, right? I'm, I'm following my wife here, okay? And so, these things, and then all of a sudden at the end of the month, you get the credit card bill and the choices that you made, and you're going, how did I end up here? Or maybe those choices are your relationship with God. At one point, you really knew him, and at one point, you listened to him, and you even prayed to him, and you even looked in your Bible and, and read some of the stories there. But then life got busy, and things happened, and then all of a sudden, he didn't become near as important as he used to be. This, we all make choices. Choices lead us, lead us down a road. We're in a series right now called Wars and Walls. And in this series right now, we are at uh, the end of the story here almost, where Nehemiah, uh, the main character of this story, has completed the wall around Jerusalem. And he has uh, completed this wall in an incredible, incredible amount of time. It only took him 52 days with the help of all of the Jews. And all the people are done, and they're kind of wondering, what's next? What's the choice that we need to make? They're thinking, we've done this big task. We've gone on this road. We're here, made the wall that we should make, but now where do we go from here? But before we jump into this story here and find out where these choices take us, I want to give us a little back history, a little back history. And so, assuming that you haven't been here every week, or maybe you have been here every week, or maybe you have read the story of Nehemiah, let me just give you a little lowdown of where we are in the, in the story. So, Nehemiah, uh, he was the cupbearer cup to King Artaxerxes, okay, who was the king of Susa. And when we think of cupbearer, I don't know what you're thinking about. Maybe you're thinking just all he did was you know, hang on to a platter and there was a little cup on it or something and he handed it to the king. But let me tell you, this was a really, really important job. 
the cupbearer basically kept the king from being poisoned. Okay, so it was a common thing back in those days where the, uh, the king, whoever's in charge at that time, if somebody wanted to overthrow him, they would actually try to poison him with, through either the wine or through the food. And so what the king would do is he would appoint somebody who was uh, extremely trustworthy, extremely worthy of carrying this job. This isn't just an application at uh, Wendy's, you know, and saying, hey, I'm going to be a cupbearer or something like that. No, this is, this is an appointment where he actually took Nehemiah, he was working in his things, and he brought him up to a level of being the cupbearer. Now, Nehemiah would taste all the food before the king, he would drink all the wine before the king, and then the king would be able to eat and drink all the food. But at some point in this story here, um, Nehemiah gets word that the walls around Jerusalem have been crumbling. And he's sad. In fact, it says in there he's heartbroken. And so much so that his face is showing that he's heartbroken. And so he comes to the king one day, and he's serving the, serving the cup, serving the wine, serving the food, and the king notices that his face has changed. So that tells me that most of the time, Nehemiah is probably a pretty happy guy because the king notices that all of a sudden his, his countenance has changed that day. And so the king asks him, what's wrong? Now get this. Um, you can't be sad in front of the king does that sound the weirdest thing like that? The king could have actually taken Nehemiah and sent him to be killed because you cannot be show a sad face in front of the king. But instead, the king has great compassion on Nehemiah. That shows me that he cares for him deeply and he likes him. So he asks him what's wrong. And uh, Nehemiah says, hey, my, you know, my hometown, where I'm from, the people that I belong to, the walls are in shambles and my people are in need and I'm wondering if it would be okay if I went back and helped. And the king, showing great compassion on Nehemiah, says, not only can you go back and help, but I'm going to send you with royal letters to get you there, and I'm going to send part of my army there to help you. And so that tells me as <clears throat> that Nehemiah had risen to a level within the, within the palace and within the whole hierarchy there of a huge, huge support of the king. And so Nehemiah heads back to Jerusalem. He rallies the people. He organizes. He manages. He helps gather them all together. And he completes this incredible task in 52 days. Uh, whenever I read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is my hero, okay? Nehemiah is my hero because Nehemiah is a man of action. He saw a project that needed to be done, and he went and, and did it. Uh, part of my job here at the, at the Zero Collective is... I serve John, and I serve Brian. I serve the rest of our team there. And I consider myself kind of like the Nehemiah. I consider myself the how guy, okay? They have something that needs to be done. They turn to me and say, Blake, can, how do we get this done? They're the visionaries. They have this grand picture of where, they, where we want to go as, a, as an organization. And they say, hey, Blake, how do we make this happen? So I can relate to Nehemiah. Maybe you can relate to Nehemiah. Maybe you're kind of a how person too. It's like, somebody else tell me how to do it. I'm going to get it done, and it's going to be done well. So let's pick up the story right now from Nehemiah here. Uh, we're going to look at Nehemiah 8, and starting at verse 1. It says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded them for Israel. 
So we're going to stop there real quick here. And uh, I've been talking for a while here, and I've been talking all about Nehemiah. And all of a sudden, we read this chapter, and you've got a new character, and his name is Ezra. And so it's probably important for us to know who Ezra is. Ezra was one of the contemporaries of Nehemiah, his same time uh, in space as far as being in Jerusalem. But Ezra was there about 13 years before Nehemiah. And Ezra was known very well by everybody in the town. He was a prophet. Uh, He was well-educated. And most scholars believe that Ezra wrote not only his own book of Ezra, but part of Nehemiah, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and Psalm 119. So here is a well-educated man. And the thing that separated Ezra from so many other people in there is Ezra not only knew the word, but Ezra lived out the word of God. And that was a big difference of how everybody else was living at that time. So he came there, and he opened up the book of the law. Now, we're not talking about a normal book like a Bible like this. We're talking the scrolls. Think dead scrolls. He's pulling out the the old scrolls, okay? And he pulls them out, and he's going to be reading the first few books of the Bible. And the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch. And that consists of uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. And he pulls this out. And he starts reading them to the people as they gathered at the water gate. So let's read uh, Nehemiah 8, verse 2, verse, uh, verse 2 and 3. It says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men and the women and all the others who could, not understand, who could understand. And all the people listened attentively, attentively to the book of the law. So here's an important part of this, is that he pulled this out at the first part of the day, and he started to read. And it says that he read from daybreak until noon. So about six hours, he stood there and read. That's a long time to stand there and read. It's an even longer time to stand there and listen, I'm going to say, you know. I'm going to talk to you guys for probably about 25, 30 minutes here, and having you guys listen attentively is awesome. But to sit there for five or six hours and have everybody listen, I mean, that's incredible. And here's an important part of that also, is it said men and women in all who could understand. Uh, That's a big change also that we should note, because back in that day, It typically was the male-dominated society, and they would only read this to the men. But Ezra brought the women and also those who could understand, and that's typically responding to either the older children or children that couldn't probably pay attention. But not everybody could understand, but a lot of people were there. Think again, this time of uh, history, not everybody was well-educated, so Ezra's reading from a book, and they're probably not getting everything that he's saying but they're standing there attentively anyways, kind of like right now. So, but uh, let's, let's move on. Nehemiah 8, uh, verse 8 and 9. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is a holy day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep, 
For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So as they're standing there, now all of a sudden, Nehemiah jumps back into the story. We've got Ezra there, we've got Nehemiah there, and we've got the Levites, who are actually the priests. And they're all standing on this wooden stage that was constructed, and they're reading to the people, and they're all standing there paying attention to it. And, uh, and they're all weeping. They're not just crying. They're not just sad. They're weeping. So why are they weeping? The reason they're weeping is because the word of God is cutting into their hearts. The word of God that they haven't been following is cutting into their hearts. And all of a sudden, they're realizing how far they have changed from where the direction they wanted to go. And they're realizing the fact that we are not at all where we should be at this point. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever read God's word and it just hit you? And it just broke you? There's been times myself where things have been going on in my life and I'll just pick up God's word and I read it and it's like, man, was that just for me? Was he, did he write that just for me? And to think it was written so far long ago, and yet it just hits home so well. That's what was happening here. The people were all weeping. Let's continue on. Nehemiah 8, verse 10 and 12. Uh, Nehemiah said, hey, go and enjoy some choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the, Lord, <coughs> for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So then all the people went away to eat and to drink, and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known. So now this is a quick turn in the story. They were weeping, but he's telling them, don't weep. What, what's up with that? The reason why he's telling them not to weep is the fact that it's a holy day. This is a holy day. And just like when Nehemiah is not supposed to weep in front of the king, same here, this is a holy day. This is a day of celebration. This is a day for people to go out and to rally, have some choice food, go out there and celebrate because there's going to be some days coming up that are not going to be so great. So right now, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites are saying, go celebrate and th get this, don't forget about the people who have nothing. Don't forget about those because there's going to be people out there who can't celebrate, who don't have party. And I think that's a, that's a message for us also in here, to think about those who can't afford something and who can't enjoy to celebrate a time when we, we celebrate. Let's continue on. This was day one, by the way. This was the first day. We're going to jump on to the, uh, Nehemiah 8, 13 16. So on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with all the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and from palms and from shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and they brought back brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their, country, in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. 
building temporary shelters. This is, uh, this just seems weird to me. I mean, they have homes already. They just got done completing the wall. And all of a sudden, now they're saying, go out and grab some branches and build yourself a little hut and go live in that for this week? I mean, what's up with that? Why, why, would, you, why would you even do that? Here's why. This was to remind them of where they came from. Remember, they just heard the word of God and they were weeping. And then they just celebrated. And now they're hearing the word of God and they're saying, go out and get these branches. If you remember, these are the same folks that were in the, uh, in the desert, ancestors before. And they have moved now. And there's a day of remembrance that they have to have here. A day of remembering. I think that's important for us, too, to remember. We remember where we've been so we can go forward in the future. And that was day two. So let's go on. Nehemiah 8.18. No, I'm not going through all 23 days, okay? Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So day after day after day, these people would get up in the morning. They would go out there. Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, they would open up the scroll. They would read it. They would hear something that they were supposed to do. And then they would go out and do it. And then they would come back. And then the next day, they would get up in the morning. They would go hear the word of God or read the word of God. They would act upon it. And then they would follow it in the next day. And then on the eighth day, after doing that week after week, they would gather as, a, as an assembly. Now, I know this is going to be a stretch for you, but imagine this. Imagine a group of people who get up day after day and read God's word, and they go do something. And then on the seventh day, they come together as a group, and they hear God's word, and they worship, and then they go out and do something. Folks, that's... That's church. This was the first church. This is church happening here. It's important. So my question for us is, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this information? What course corrections do we need to take in our own lives to get us back heading in the right direction? Just like the Israelites were getting back, heading in the course direction to get back in their right direction, what course directions do we need to take? Summertime is typically a time where, you know, at least in most families, they let off the gas a little bit, okay? It's a time for relaxation, and we, and we all need that a little bit. But what would it look like if we use summertime for a time of rebuilding and restructuring and course corrections in our lives, in our families? Personally, this summer, and some of you know this, I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been this summer. I, uh, uh, I have three of my four children getting married this summer. So, yeah, right. So last Friday was our first wedding, right over here at Railside. So three kids getting married. And the next one's in August, and then the next one is in late September, October. And so you can imagine how busy that is with three weddings. Not only that, but my wife and I, looking at the house now with all the kids gone, said, you know what, our house is a little bit too big, so... We decided to sell our home. And not only did we decide to sell our home, but we said, you know what? It would be really fun to build a home. So we're in the process right now of building a home this summer. 
And you're sitting there and you're going like, well, how does a pastor afford to build a home? Okay, so that's a fair question, a fair question. Uh, before I became a pastor, uh, I owned some businesses. And uh, one of those businesses was a summer business that I really, really enjoyed. And so instead of selling that, I kept that one. So I still run another business, aside from being a pastor, that runs for six months in the summertime where I have like 14 employees that I, that I manage. Not only that uh, do I have that business, but we decided to open up another church in Wayland. And so my responsibilities uh, took on for that church also. And even beside that, I help out our region a lot, and I do some consulting work where I'm traveling you know, a couple days a month going uh, to different churches for that. So my summer is busy, guys. My summer is crazy. And I just want to confess to you right now that because of that, um, my relationship with God has suffered this summer. Just be, be, be open with you. It would be wrong of me to stand up here and stand and talk to you about making course corrections without making a course correction in my own life. This sermon that I'm telling you right now is as much for me as it is for you right now. In fact, that I need to readjust, recalculate, start reading God's word in the morning, then do it in the afternoon. Because it's really easy to push it aside and say, I'll get to that later. And later never comes. Do you find yourself like me or do you find yourself like the Israelites where you need to make a course correction to? You need to get back on the right road. You've made choices that probably have left, made you, uh, have brought you somewhere where you don't want to be. And they're good choices. I mean, all those things I, I listed there, those were all good choices I think I make. Weddings, I mean, those are great things, right? But they're taking me away from what's the most important thing. And not that I'm giving them up, but I just need to recalibrate and get back on the right thing. Maybe the course correction for you is in your marriage. Maybe for you guys or somebody in here, it's time to take a look at your spouse again and appreciate them for who they are. Take a look at the commitment that you made on that day, that covenant that you made in front of friends and in front of families and say, you know what, I'm going to live into that covenant again. Maybe that course correction for you is with your kids. Summertime's an awesome time to reconnect with your kids. But maybe it's a time for you to say, hey, we're going to put the schedule away for the summertime and say, you know what, we're going to concentrate on family time this summer. You're going to make that course correction. Maybe for you, that course correction needs to be in your friendships. You need to start developing friendships that are based on your values and not on your friend's values. I'll say that again, on your values and not on your friend's values. It's really easy to base friendships on their values and start doing what they want to do. But what does it look like to be the leader and to be the friend and set the direction rather than follow it? Or maybe your course correction needs to be with God, like me. Maybe you're like me and you find yourself, you're too busy for him sometimes. It's hard to do everything on your own. I've been trying that for the last few weeks, trying to get all this stuff done. Even preparing this message in my own work and not consulting him first. How stupid is that, really? That I'd be able to there and try to say, hey, I'm going to put this message together and not even consult the one who the message is about before I do the message. Course corrections. We all need course corrections. But do you have an Ezra in your life? Do you have a Nehemiah in your life? Do you have somebody who's in there to help point out where those course corrections need to be? We all need an Ezra. We all need a Nehemiah in our life. We need someone who has our best interest in mind. 
somebody who will challenge us, somebody who will inspire us, somebody who will help us along the way. And when we do need a course correction, they're a good enough friend, they're a good enough mentor, they're a good enough leader that they can spot that in there and say, hey, we need to go this way now. The Israelites did that. This is how they did it. They opened up scripture, they read it, and they made the change. Okay? So I will pause right now, and I'm going to do a shameless plug for small groups here at the Center Church. Okay? If you're not in a small group, I'm going to implore you and invite you and hope that you join some sort of small group. Because, folks, this is what small groups do. Small groups are the Ezra's and Nehemiah's. They hold you accountable. They help spur you on towards the area that you need to be challenged in. They hold you accountable. And they move you closer to God. That's discipleship. And that's what small groups are. So if you're not in one, please, please jump into a small group. Many of us, many of us are stuck in relationships. Many of us are stuck in our jobs. Many of us are stuck in our marriages. And we're stuck because we're not being challenged and we're not making course corrections. What course corrections do we need to make? Let's jump into the last part of the story here and we'll finish up. Uh, Nehemiah 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of God. Folks, this was a time of corporate confession. This was the time that they actually got down and they realized they were heading in the wrong direction. And there seems to be a pattern here that they did. First, they, let's pull that up. Whoops, we lost that. Here's the pattern. They stood, they read, they confessed, and they worshiped. They stood, they read, they confessed and they're worshipped. And there's an important part of that. I mean, we came in this morning here and we just jumped right into worship. And I love to worship. I mean, it is one of the, my greatest things is just loving to worship. But I wonder if myself, did I get my heart in the right, in the right spot before I started to worship? Growing up, uh, I went to a small church, you know, very similar to this. And uh, I'd go in there with my mom and I'd sit down and immediately, I'd be looking around for all my friends, okay? Because that's what I want. That's why I was looking for my friends. But my mom would come in. And my mom would come in, and she would sit down. She would bow her head, and she would close her eyes, and she would start to pray. And I just kind of thought, well, that's her thing, you know? Finally, it got to the point where, you know what? I was old enough to realize, why does she keep doing that every time? Why does she keep doing So I just asked her. I says, why do you do that, Mom? And she still does it to this day. Why do you do that? She goes... Before I can worship, i got to get my heart right with God. And that's hit me. So it's one of those things that I do now. Not only in honor to God, but in honor to my mom who taught me. Are we teaching our kids those course corrections? The pattern, again, is to read, to understand, and to change. It was a constant and consistent time in his word. There's a realization that there needs to be a confession. There needs to be an ownership of responsibility, and there needs to be a change of heart. J.L. Packer wrote uh, this quote right here. It says, Repentance is more than just sorrow for the past. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart, a new life of denying self and serving the Savior as king in self's place. Repentance is more than sorrow for the past. 
It's a change. There needs to be a course correction. There needs to be a change. So when Nehemiah first arrived in Jerusalem, the task was the wall. The task was the wall, and he completed that task. But he realized, realized that it wasn't just the wall. It was the hearts of the people that needed to change. The wall was just something that brought him there. The real change, the real change that took place among the Israelites was the change in their heart. Is God moving your heart towards him? Are there situations in your life where God is using right now that he's moving your heart towards him? I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine named Mark, who's, it's not his real name, but you'll understand why in a little bit. Uh, Mark is uh, very similar in age to me, just a little bit younger. Mark has an awesome job, has a beautiful wife, three great kids. Uh, he is a, he's a great guy. I mean, I love Mark. We have been in Bible studies together for years. Uh, just an awesome man of God. Uh, Mark was at work about a couple months, or a couple years ago, uh, not a couple months, a couple years ago, and uh, all of the people in the, in the work decided to just go out for coffee, like you probably do at your work. So he went out for coffee with a couple of people there, and he struck up a friendship with somebody he didn't know really from his work, but somebody from the opposite sex, and they started talking, and they found out they had a whole bunch of things in common. So that coffee that day led to a coffee the next day. And that coffee the next day led to a lunch the following day. And over a period of time, those lunches turned into dinners. And then those dinners turned into something more. And then all of a sudden, Mark found himself in an affair that whether he readily went into himself or he just found himself into, but he found himself in a place where he did not want to be on a road that he didn't want to be. Mark's marriage has been obviously crumbled by this. Mark's kids don't really want to talk to him anymore. And Mark is broken. Mark is broken. Mark came to me shortly after all of this happened, and he, he sat down with me, and uh, he says, I don't know what happened. It just was started out with just a coffee. And then it progressed to there. Mark is making a course direction in his life right now. I am sitting with Mark, and I am walking this walk with Mark. And I can stand in front of you or sit in front of you right now and just say, you know what? Mark is loved by God just as much today as he was before this all happened. He made some bad choices, and he's reaping the repercussions from those bad choices. But Mark is repentant, and Mark is working towards restoration. Mark is making a course correction and changing the trajectory of his life. Now, where that goes, I don't know. But I'm here to tell you, God is so pleased with Mark's heart right now that he's made that. Did, is God honoring all those choices that he made in the back? No, absolutely not. But God is honoring his choices now that he's trying to live as a man of God. I want to take you back to, to the last story, or the first story I told you this morning about uh, my wife and I on the trail. Um, I left out an important piece of information for you guys. Uh, the important piece of information that I left out is in the back seat of my Jeep was a map. A map that would have brought us right to the trailhead. I had picked it up a few weeks earlier. I forgot completely about it. I was making these choices and I forgot completely about the map. I didn't find it until later, but my map was in my back seat. 
is your map in your backseat. My map has been in my back seat for the last few weeks. And it doesn't help. See, a GPS takes you from direction, turn to turn to turn. But a map, a map shows you the whole picture. You get to see everything. I'm asking you, are you consulting your map? It's the most important map you'll have. It's the one that'll lead you to redemption. It's the one that'll lead you to a course correction. It's the one that'll lead you to change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for gathering us together as, as a group of believers. Just as you did way back when, when you gathered the Israelites, we sit and we stand and we listen to your word and we make course corrections and changes in our lives, Lord. We know we don't have it all figured out and that's what grace is for. We're thankful that you provide us that. We ask, Lord, that as we opened your word this morning, as we heard your word this morning, that we'll re-examine our lives right now, Lord, and see what course corrections we need to make, whether that's in our families, in our finances, and most importantly, in our time with you. Are we making the course corrections, Lord, that would turn our hearts towards you? We love you, Lord. And we pray this in your name and all God's people said.